This teaches you risk management, which is, I think, the single most important aspect of, of, uh, of investing and trading. Hello, and welcome to Corvinus Business Intelligence. This is a podcast series dedicated to learning about and from today's and tomorrow's business leaders and to understanding the cutting edge issues on which they work. Today's podcast is the second in a series and is focused on the markets. We are thrilled to have as our guest on Corvinus Business Intelligence today, quantitative strategist, Nicholas Vardy. Based in Europe, Nicholas is a widely recognized expert on exchange-traded funds and an accomplished investment expert. Nicholas has been a regular commentator on international media, such as the Fox Business Network, and has also been cited in the Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, Fox Business News, CBS Market Watch, Yahoo Finance, and MSN Money Central. This podcast is the second in the series of our discussion with Nicholas Vardy. This podcast was created and prepared by the Budapest Investment Club of Corvinus University's School of Business in Budapest. We are speaking to you from Budapest, the stunning and historical capital of Hungary. My name is Theodore Boone. I'm a member of the faculty of Corvinus University's School of Business and one of your hosts for this program. I am joined today by my co-host, Anita Hamar, who co-chairs Corvinus's Budapest Investment Club. Nicholas Vardy, in January 2018, became the Oxford Club's first and only exchange-traded fund strategist, writing for the daily Liberty Through Wealth, e-letter, formerly Investment U, which is provided to over 350,000 subscribers, and for its flagship newsletter, the Oxford Communique. Nicholas is also the editor of the new exchange-traded fund trading service, Oxford Swing Trader. We will get into the details of Nicholas Vardy's very impressive background and experience later in the podcast. But I did want to highlight that Nicholas has a prior affiliation with Corvinus University here in Budapest. Nicholas, in addition to his studies and degrees from Harvard and Stanford, in his student days studied at Corvinus University under the prestigious Fulbright Scholars Program. Nicholas, in your recent writings, you have noted a relationship or similarities between playing poker and investing. I found this very interesting because sort of the cliche that I always heard is, hey, gambling is gambling, but investment is more like science. Um, But it appears that you think differently about this. Could you please uh, expand on, on your thoughts in this area? Sure. You know, when I was a little boy, I was a lawyer, as you know, Ted, and uh, I came across this book by a guy named Jack Schwager, published in 1989, called Market Wizards. And it was the interviews with the world's top traders. It really inspired me and really a generation of many other 
uh, people to um, abandon whatever they were doing and get into the financial world. It was so fascinating. And it, you may, it made you realize that trading and investing is, is an amazing three-dimensional chess game, as Jim Rogers likes to say. And it's constantly challenging and it's, it's remarkably uh, compelling. Now, one of the things that, that, uh, that I found in reading these interviews with these market wizards was that many of them were actually poker players. And this was a kind of an odd, incongruous, incongruous connection. But then I studied the, the, uh, the issue a bit longer and having interviewed, you know, there were a series of these books that came out, The New Market Wizards and Schwager actually wrote three or four other books like this. I actually worked with some people who got interviewed with, uh, interviewed in later editions of this book. And many of them are poker players. Now, and I also noticed, for example, that, that, that uh, some, of the, some of the great hedge fund managers in the U.S. nowadays are also poker players. Poker playing is, is, a very, is a terrific mental model. Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's partner, talks a lot about mental models. And I work a lot with mental models, just sort of different models of approaching, you know, approaching reality. And here's why poker, I think, is especially a very useful one for uh, people who are traders um, as opposed to investors. When you play poker, and I'm actually not a poker player, so I'm just approaching this from purely a conceptual um, uh, standpoint, you are dealt a hand of a set of cards, okay? You look at those cards and you have a hand, and that hand was dealt to you. You can, have, you can be dealt a good hand or a bad hand, and the way you react to that is going to be de- how, the way you react to, to, the, to the hand that you got dealt depends on whether you got a good hand or a bad hand. If you, got, if you had a good hand, then you increase your bets on that hand that you received. If not, if you got a really bad one, you just throw in your cards and say, okay, I'm just going to wait for the cards to be dealt to me once again. Here's what's interesting is that what this teaches you risk management, which is, I think, the single most important aspect of, of, uh, of investing and trading. Um, because what happens is, is that you're dealt a card, and if you get a good hand, you increase your bet size on it, Okay. If you're if you're up, in, which is basically adding, like adding to a winning position in a portfolio, or if you get a, get a dealt, dealt, get dealt a, a poor hand, you throw in your cards. In other words, you cut your losses. Okay. And so you're able to manage the situation, you know, and you you adjust your the amount of money that you're betting on a certain hand based on your judgment of what the prospects for that is. And and the the important aspect of this is that because you are dealt a hand, the whole process is impersonal, okay? And because it's impersonal, it's a lot easier for you to throw in your hand if you, are, if you have a bad hand. Because getting dealt a bad hand is the equivalent of investing in a company that didn't work out. Now, so there's, the psychology of it's completely different. So because if you are uh, in, an, in the investing world, uh, when you're dealt a hand, that's kind of the equivalent of of, uh, of doing a research piece, you know, for a big investment bank or whatever, doing your own research on a certain company, you become very attached to that idea. So let's say you invest a part of your portfolio in that. Even if the position goes against you, you've done so much work on that that you are convinced that you are right and that the market is wrong about this position that you've taken. Okay, you become too invested in it. That's why everyone knows on Wall Street that analysts who write research reports are often the very worst portfolio managers because they get too attached to whatever analysis they do and they know that they are right. So if they do an analysis on XYZ company, they don't really care what the market does 
even if the 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 um, the, the, the stock price goes down 50 percent because they know they are right. They say, listen, I went to fancy business school. I'm a smart person. I've talked to the management. I've done all the work on the company. You know, I went to, you know, Columbia Business School and I've done you know very well. I know this is right. OK, they have trouble releasing that the notion that, that maybe they're invested, that, that their advice or their analysis was wrong or that the market views it differently. Poker players are completely indifferent in a situation like that. They get dealt a hand, they get a bad hand, they throw it in, they wait for another hand to be dealt to them. And this, that's why so many hedge fund managers look at managing money in terms of risk, and it's, it's absolutely crucial, rather than as a, ma- as a matter of sophisticated analysis. And you really see this with all the, so a lot of the top hedge fund managers really, you know, they're, they're, they're more poker players or card players or game players, they, they're very competitive in sports, then they are into the most intricate of financial analysis. There's, a, there's a, one of the best-known hedge funds right now is called um, Greenlight Capital, run by a guy named David Einhorn, who actually ended up, I think, one year, third or fourth in the World Series of Poker. Okay, And he won like $4 million or something, which for him is not a lot of money. But you know, he's a poker player, and you can, just, you can tell that's how you know, he manages his, his funds as well. You never bet too big. You know, you have a sense of how much money you have. You know, you throw in your bad cards. You add to your winners. You cut your losers. That's why the skills that you learn as a poker player, I think, are profoundly important in uh, trading a, an active portfolio. So we've been using the word traders and investors as well. Um, my question is, is it more true for traders that they need to manage risk? Uh, but I mean, obviously, everyone has to manage the risk, but uh, they're more like uh, poker players than investors. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the ones I'm talking about are active traders, okay? Uh, it's very different. If, if you are, I mean, I was a portfolio manager, for example, in the, in the, in the city of London uh, for about four years. And there, they manage money very differently, okay? Because it, it's an institutional, it's an institutional uh, set or context. There, you're almost like acting as a trustee of a fund. You're acting as a, you know, a trustee of, of capital. And you, you with the, the legal legislation, it's such that, you know, that you're managing a mutual fund, you can't really, you know, your, your risk is limited in terms of how much you can invest in one particular stock. If you have, if that takes up too much of your position, then you have to cut it back, you know, so there's all these constraints on what you can do. And that's why essentially, you know, most portfolio managers essentially perform what the index does minus the cost that they actually caught, you know, for active management that they, t- that they take out, which is the reason, you know, if you're a, if you're an, a retail, an average retail investor, you're much better off getting into a low-cost retail index fund than you are in active management because active management just costs more. So it's a very different mindset. So you're right. There's the investing mindset and then there's the you know, trading mindset. The poker player analogy or the mental model there is much more about what I view to be more exciting, more interesting in the, the, uh, the trading game. Nick, in your analogy... Uh, one aspect I'm not clear on, and that is in investing, who is the dealer of the cards? Ah, very interesting point. Good question. The dealer is the market. Dealer is the you know the if you the equivalent of of uh, of of you're getting a hand is is whatever you happen to invest in. So if I if I say you know I'm really bullish on the dollar because the dollar is pulled back. You know, and the DXY is now trading at 93. I think it should bounce back up to 94. You know, I'm going to buy. You know, I'm going to buy. A, I'm going to go long in the U.S. dollar by futures contract on that. You know, that decision is the equivalent of you're getting a hand dealt to you. Okay, and uh, and you know, if that trade works out, then 
you know, you can add to it. That's sort of, that's the equivalent of asking for, for additional cards, upping the ante of your bet. And, uh, and if it doesn't work out, then you sort of throw in your cards. If, if it goes back from 93 down to, you know, wherever your stop loss is 90, you just cut out of it. It's like throwing in your cards. So I don't know if that makes it, they makes that clear for you. It's very helpful. Thank you. Uh, so I'm going to move to a bit of a different topic. Um, it's more about the careers and the career path that you can have in investing. And we have a lot of uh, students listening to our podcast. Uh, and also us, the student members, want to know, like, how do you start out in this industry? And what's the best strategy to get to the top? Hmm. Okay. Well, again, it really depends on your objectives. You know, investing is a, is a wide, uh, investing and trading is a wide palette. I think if you want to go into the, the institutional world, then I think you take the kind of MBA, you know, CFA route. And that is a job that's going to keep you sort of in touch with the markets at the same time in terms of the, what you actually do in terms of the calls you make. It's very committee oriented. You know, you can make proposals, you get together with the committee, you know, the committee decides on whether you're going to add to this position or take away from that position or whatever. And it's, it's much more of a, it's, I don't want to say it's being like a lawyer, but you, it's sort of, you know, it, it, is, it is much more of an institutionalized structured type of approach. You know, I can actually, Ted, you probably don't know this, but I was actually, I formed the very first domestic investment fund in Hungary. So I ran the CA Growth Fund, which was founded in 1995. And it was actually, it was literally the first fund that was set up under domestic legislation in Hungary. And even back then, you know, it was, you know, there was obviously no precedent there. But when, when I was running that fund for about a year and a half before I moved to London, it was a very structured kind of approach. It wasn't sort of, you know, there, there were limits within that legislation, which was modeled on the U.S. legislation back then the, in terms of, you know, how much, you know, you could invest. So, for example, you couldn't invest, you know, more than 5% in any one particular stock or something like that to ensure a certain level of diversity. So anyway, so back to the question, back to the question of students, there's an institutional way to go there. And I think that's, you know, you can do that, but it's kind of a steady job and it keeps you in touch with the markets. And I think it's much more, you know, you can use some of the skills that you've learned in, in business school. I think the uh, kind of the polar opposite of that, which I know also exists in Hungary, at least it used to, is if you go to a proprietary trading sh- shop. Okay, I know there was an English company that set up something in, in Hungary a while back. I don't know if it's still around. Um, where you're basically given a, a certain amount of capital and you're let go to go and speculate, you know, how you want to. And it's really the contrast between the two, those opposite poles. One is institutional investment, which is a much more kind of conservative approach to investing, much more sort of um, uh, academic base. And you're going to, you know, your presentation is going to have the efficient market frontier on it. And you're going to talk about diversification and you're going to talk about beta and you're going to talk about sharp ratios and maybe Sortino ratios if they're sophisticated enough, you know, all that kind of stuff versus, you know, proprietary traders who are basically, you know, they're the poker players of the world. Okay. They're the ones who are going to be not, not going to use their formal education very much, but just are really looking at whatever type of opportunities out there in the market, you know, and, and, and try to, you know, try to make a living that way. That's kind of a, that's a very different, you know, I guess still institutional, but, but much more sort of trading oriented type of type of career. So there's really a wide path that you can do. I think most people coming out of business school are probably thinking more on the institutional side. And I think it's an, I think it's a valuable enough, valuable enough experience because you, you kind of understand, you know, the rules of that sort of, 
game and how that works. But again, it, it you know, I, I did it for about three or four years and I, I found it, you know, for my case, a little bit, a uh, little bit constraining. Portfolio managers don't talk about history. Portfolio managers don't talk about psychology. You know, they don't, you know, basically they don't talk about the 90% of the stuff that I think matters, you know, in that sort of 60, 30 model that I posited before that, you know, investing is 60%. Um, psychology, 30% history, and 10% fundamental technical valuations. I see. Yeah, and when we talk about trading, like uh, in the student club, we always recommend that uh, if you really want to know the market and like start trading, just open up an account. But those people who just like starting out uh, in the world of trading, and what would you recommend for them? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll, you know, let, let, let me tell you about let, let me tell you a little bit about my journey, okay, and and kind of how 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 I developed that way, uh, in this way, and 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 what worked for me and what didn't. Even when I was a lawyer, I started retooling myself in the tools of finance because being a lawyer, you're sort of used to getting certificates and diplomas and all that kind of kind of stuff. So I started, you know, doing the CFA qualifications because I thought that was the key to you know key to investing, and and once I would get that, then that would be that would be it. That was enough to leverage myself into an institutional environment, a very interesting one, by the way, because it was at a time when emerging markets in Central Europe and Russia were red hot. And, you know, I, you know, I got to go on terrific investor trips to Turkey, to Ukraine, to, you know, Novosibirsk and, you know, visiting all the Russian companies and, you know, whatever. It was, it was really, it was, you know, I covered Israel, too. So I was down in Jerusalem and, you know, Egypt, whatever. So it, you got a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of kind of interesting, colorful travel, especially as a young professional. So it was really a lot of fun. But, you know, of course, you get to stay at the best hotels and stuff and meet with senior managements. And, you know, the, you know, the Greek telecom company would be going public and you'd meet with them and you'd see the investor pitches. And in London, they would have all the companies would come and, you know, they they give their pitches. You know, they they buy you lunch. They take you to, you know, Wimbledon. And, you know, it's it's a it's a kind of it was real fun kind of type of thing. But in the end, it had relatively little to do with, you know, the the art of investing. And but, you know, for that kind of thing, you need that you need those kind of institutional, you know, MBA style qualifications. But I think to really to really make money, if you do, the, the trading aspect of it, how to get started on it, it's literally, I think, pick up that book from Jack Schwager from 1989 and, you know, the five other books that he wrote on it. And by the way, this, I, I bet you 19 out of 20 hedge fund managers will tell you the exact same thing, you know, to pick up that book and just read it and understand, you know, what, uh, what that world is all about. And the conclusion that I came to is that it was, again, much more about psychology and trading and understanding yourself and bet size and structuring your trades and all these kind of things, none of which I learned from the, you know, incredibly voluminous amount of textbooks that I plowed myself through for hundreds and hundreds of hours. I mean, I thought, for example, I thought it absolutely fascinating how, like, you go through an entire CFA curriculum and they never tell you about the importance of position size, about the difference between betting 1% of your portfolio or 10% of the portfolio, you know, about, you know, just it's all these, for example, which, which the, the poker analogy that talked about explains beautifully. So I actually, I actually went off and worked with a trading psychologist that I actually read about in the Market Wizards book. He was based in North Carolina. So I did a lot of psychological work. I did personality testing. I did a lot of, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, trading systems development. That's also kind of a technical skill, which again, you don't really learn in business schools. So I had to educate myself in areas that were completely different from what were what the kind of stuff that um, the guy with the unpronounceable name of Columbia on valuation, you know, produces. It's it's just a different game. So it was it was an evolution for me. Now I will tell you that 
99 out of 100 institutional portfolio managers don't care about the stuff that I cared about and would not bother doing that. And when I would go off and spend tons of money on a trading psychologist, they thought I was absolutely crazy. But again, it's just I just pursued my own interests and studied and read financial history. And, you know, I eventually accumulated probably a, a, a library of about 1,500 investment books. And the reality is I probably did go through most of those. But uh, a lot of them were, you know, not as a lot more useful than the sort of formal qualifications that I had. I mean, it's not to be anti-intellectual about it. I'm just saying that in terms of the evolution of, you know, my particular um, career. And then, you know, uh, uh, for me, doing what I do right now in the newsletter industry, which is, re- you know, less regulated, I can kind of say what I want to, have opinions on things, have views. People can agree, agree with it, disagree with it. But for me, it was a mu- mu- much more authentic way of, of using my skills in terms of being able to, you know, write kind of the kind of weird kind of off the wall stuff that I do. I mean, it's not off the wall, but it's just sort of, you know, looking at things from a different perspective. And for me, that was, uh, that was important. Nick, uh, regretfully, I have to say, we've run out of time for this segment of the podcast. And it's really been a, a wonderful uh, discussion. Uh, I would like to thank my co-host for today, Anita Hamar, uh, for joining us. And most of all, I would like to thank you, Nicholas Vardy, uh, for this outstanding uh, discussion. Uh, Our listeners should please remember to join us for part three of this podcast, where, among other matters, uh, Nicholas Vardy will describe how his experience as a child selling flavored ice cubes at baseball games in Pittsburgh was part of his step towards a career path of becoming a very respective quantitative strategist. So we look forward to hearing more about Nicholas's uh, career and career steps in part three of this podcast. This is Theodore Boone for the Corvinus Business Intelligence Podcast, a production of the Budapest Investment Club of Corvinus University in Budapest. We leave you today with these words spoken by Benjamin Franklin. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest.